All right, guys. Alistair Crowley, 9-11. Fact hunter George Hobbs, Mr. William Ramsey Investigates. How are you guys tonight? Great. Today? I'm good. Rather great to be with you again. Awesome to have all both of you in one room together because we, I reckon together, we have an amazing range of knowledge across all subjects. It's really cool, especially with the whole 9-11 thing. So we were talking before and you said that maybe we should touch on Alistair Crowley and lead on into how that shows through into the 9-11 stuff. Sure. Do you reckon that's a good idea? I think that's the way I laid out my book, so just (laughs) step by step. Yep, step by step. All right. Well, why don't you start, Mister Mister Ramsey? Alistair Crowley was born in London, in England, uh, in 1875. He died in 1947. He came from a wealthy family. He was the only child. He had a sister who died very young, but he was in a family that was part of the Plymouth Brethren. There were a subset, a more religious Christian subset, called the Exclusive Brethren. So they were kind of a I would think of them as kind of a snobby, uh, set-aside kind of Christian sect. And he was sent to Christian schools. But those Christian schools at that time were like penitentiaries. They would beat the kids. He almost died, actually. They had to send him home and tutor him. So he went through, like, and the, those were notorious, like the English schools are notoriously violent and abusive. So he uh, had real problems with that. His dad died when he was 14. His dad was a pamphleteer. And his, his family made money through the kind of uh, pub system. They sold beer and sandwiches and all kinds of things you could get in pubs. So when his father died, he was put in the care of his mother and his uncle, who he didn't care for either. He was much more uh, attuned to his father than his mother. And But he did go to some of the best, what we would call prep schools in the States. He went to the best, they call them public schools. So he had a great education, made it into Cambridge. And really, he said his passion, he was white hot on three things once he got into Cambridge. It was poetry, mountain climbing, and magic with a K. Or the cultism, we call it occultism. So he really started out, he had he was amongst these people who were part of the royal family, uh, you know, some of the greatest scholars of all time. And he set his mind to become one of those type of people. So he had an ambition while he was at Cambridge being among all these other luminaries that went to school there. So with his family money, he set out to like really devour and read late late at night, all kinds of material, Latin, Greek, um, and but occult material too. He joined the Golden Dawn after he got done. He didn't actually get a degree at Cambridge. He thought it was beneath him to actually get a degree. So he had a kind of a contemptful, contemptuous view of Cambridge, like he was above it. Um, so he got out, he went to the Golden Dawn, which was kind of an elite magical fraternity. It was post-Masonic, so he went through Masonry, then he got into the Golden Dawn and really started off a long-term career with his family money, never worked, really worked a real job. <coughs> Excuse me, never really worked a real job because he uh, had this family money. When his mother died in the early, I think, 1910, his inheritance to today's value would be like 20 million pounds, like huge amount of money. So he, he successfully squandered it all. Uh, so then his interest in poetry, his writing poetry, putting out books under fake names, put out a lot of literature. And a lot of people, a lot of even Crowley scholars have never, to my knowledge, compiled all of his written work. And he was really a literateur. So he was a very, uh, he was writing all the time. He was an excellent, he was really a master of English prose. I have to give him credit for that. So his, he had very powerful means of expression 
no TV at that time, no radio. So that was kind of a means of uh, getting his work out. He went two trips to India to go uh, mountain climbing on very, uh, mountains that had not been ascended at that time. One was called Kanchenjunga, and another was Chogori. And those were disasters. The second one was a disaster, and Crowley was never invited back for any mountaineering <laughs> adventures. You're muted. You're muted. Why do you think he found it so important to climb those mountains? Do you think that had something to do with, like, the magic? It's a good question. I think that he was an adventurer. I think that what had happened, because he had gotten sick in those prep schools, he had beaten and stuff, they tried, his family tried to re rehabilitate him through exercise. So he was going to, like, the Cliffs of Dover and some places on the coast of England to kind of climb. And I think that it just became... An interest for him i think that was his adventure he really was an adventure i mean those parts of his character like you can belittle him but he really had um he, he had that adventure some streaks he was always traveling so you can't really trace people have probably tried to trace but like imagine like going to school then having a week off going to switzerland to climb coming back traveling to france he didn't he wasn't encumbered by financial problems he could just move around so he's constantly traveling and uh, so I think that those big, at that time, that was really the most daring adventure something you could do is try to go to India and climb these huge, these huge mountain ranges before Everest. So it was like Kanchenjunga and Chogori were the two ones. But, and he uh, was very extreme. He was really extreme. So that kind of makes sense if you look at his personality as well. I think so. Those are yeah. those are dangerous at that time. You have to look at the... Look at the technology they had. They just started using crampons. Like he was climbing, he climbed in Mexico. One of the most influential people that he, I can't remember his name, it's in my book, but was a mountain climber for him. It was a mountain climber, was a very important person. The other one was Augustus John, who also influenced Ian Fleming, uh, which is interesting. But Augustus John was a whole other side, side story. But a lot of people knew Crowley. Crowley knew a lot of people. He mixed in the highest. He really was an elitist. So he only hung out with the kind of aristocracy. He wasn't a landed gentry, but I think because of his wealth and his education, he was like that. So he was really come come out of a very class conscious uh, society at that time, the end of the Victorian era. Did so, the? Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I thought you were finished. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step over you. I can just but... ramble on about him. I mean, <laughs> that's just the beginning. So this is all happening. He went to Russia in 1904 as kind of like the head of a dancing troupe. So you, he, that's another one of his weird travels. So he went to Russia and actually was influenced by the Orthodox setup of the Orthodox churches there and integrated what he saw in Russia into his Thelema religion. So he's always kind of taking stuff and starting his own religion and talking to people. Um, so that, that's kind of the beginning. There's like another vignette I put in my book where he's talking with Clifford Bax and he's saying, you know, I'm going to create my own religion and at the end of this century they're going to be basking in the sunlight or the the hell uh, is it the sundown of Crowleyanity. so he's always setting himself very early against christianity that he grew up with yeah i was going to ask you going back to, to, to the mountain incident um there was an incident that happened where three of the folks that were hiking along with him died and he refused to help him and he said he had no sympathy whatsoever so does that speak a lot about uh the type of person that alistair crowley was absolutely absolutely i think so so that was it like that was kind of what ruined it for him there was an avalanche and he refused to help and he whipped his porters too like he treated them contemptuously 
So yeah, I think that's an early early indicator of his um, character. Also, he, he wrote his own biography. Like that's how much of a uh, self important jerk he was. Is like when he was in his forties, he wrote his own autobiography, and in that, and I quote that in the book, he was actually in Switzerland one time, and a family was going hiking, and he said, "Oh, it was super challenging," but he did refuse to warn them about this challenging. Uh, challenging mountaineering thing and they all came back in body bags and like he laughed about it he thought it was funny so he wasn't kind of like his brother's keeper he was the author he's kind of a, early on we'll kind of sat with the sons of cain so to speak so that's another thing like you can go through that biography and he reveals himself i think i think it's authentic that he reveal reveals those little elements of his character in his in his own writings and actions absolutely it's hard to hide those things as well Right. I mean, like he wasn't, person. He, he didn't care. I don't, I don't think there was, there was no like cancel yeah. culture. He wasn't going to get canceled. He could just act like the biggest jerk because he had all the money. So yeah. he could just call and ask for money. And so I think that immunized him from some of the stuff that we all have to do to keep our jobs or he never really was a, I wouldn't call him a family man. He had women in his life and he had like five known children. Um, but he never, there's no stories of him in his biography having a play, you know, a wonderful time with the wife and kids and we traveled together. Mm. Those are those are not there. They don't exist. They're really just talking about him and how much he hated Christianity and all his weird magical uh, practices and stuff like that. Well, one point I have to make when you called him a jerk before, he might be a self-righteous jerk, but far out. He has been powerful because he was right. He has leaked through into our century now. Like there is and it's getting and it's like people people are getting uh in like the light of the in the light of the darkness so to speak of the world at the moment people are fascinated by that side of things and they're looking like i don't know i I looked at the hashtags on instagram the other day and they're massive compared to what they were even six months ago with alistair crowley tags and it's not in like our our way of talking about him it is an interest in his magic right Mm. I mean, uh, my understanding here in LA, like that's the magic and the kind of occultism is the religion of the next generation of the next kids in high school and things like that. They're not, they're de-Christianized. Yeah. Um, isn't, isn't that the reason why so many people are so fascinated out in your neck of the woods with like Marina Abramovich? Absolutely. I think that even, even Eccles and Abramovich, these are the kind of uh, total, like uh, the influences on the, the people who are interested in them are occultists too so they become like court uh magicians like and i think curly was too yeah. i think curly fit that role where he was moving and talking with elites and influencing them so he was kind of like the abramovich of his time absolutely Great. so like bored rich people like he spent time in detroit like at that detroit detroit at the early part of the century wasn't what it was today it was this glistening, wonderful city with beautiful buildings and very rich people. And Crowley was there chatting with him. He had like the earlier uh, peyote, called it a different name at the time, but he was dosing people with peyote and, you know, <laughs> becoming kind of like the, he called himself the priest to the princes. Like, so he was like the priest to the kind of princelings or the rich people who identified with his ideas so a lot a lot you know it's kind of a, he had a very classist well, he was really a neo-feudalist he believed feudal system was optimal he never actually complained about anything 
that he was the beneficiary of the wealth and knowledge. Mm-hmm. He just said that the cows shall be cows and we will shear them and have their meat and the slave shall serve. So I think Crowley was definitely kind of like a precursor to a lot of these other people to, who are like magicians and cultists like Abramovich today who communicates with spirits just like Crowley did, yeah. So, I mean, we can keep going. Crowley then comes to the States. He's definitely confirmed to be an intelligence asset by the time he gets here in 1914. For M16? What's that? For M16? Well, the 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 British intelligence service has changed through different types. Back then, it was called the Secret Intelligence Service, the SIS. So then it morphed into MI5 and MI6. It got like these different departments. But when he probably started, he probably was recruited sometime after Cambridge. And do you think maybe? An asset do you think maybe it happened at Cambridge? There's lots of reports of those things happening at Cambridge, Absolutely. like There's through talent. there. People get talent spotted in the UK and in the states uh, for intelligence through schools. So either yeah, elite schools, law schools. Like I, I mean, I don't want to go. To, people get talent. There's a lot more of that stuff than people even know because it's all secretive, but you can get, you can become, uh, I'm not affiliated with any, any in that, uh, government group. I'm not at all. I'm not a joiner, but, uh, I've seen some pretty incredible stuff to, you know, like within the last 20 years. So Crowley, maybe with the, the, the facts aren't there. There's a huge secrecy act in the UK and there's probably government files about Crowley, but we just don't have access to them. A lot of these guys took it very seriously. Like they, they even Ian Fleming, uh, before his death, said, "Yeah, I, I could tell you stories, but I'm under the Secrecy Act. I cannot tell it because they'll kill you. <coughs> uh, you can get tried, and some people did get hung. Like wow. especially when it's a serious environment, like World War II. Yeah. Like they didn't screw around. Um, and Crowley always had, like he had these public acts and weird things he was doing for the benefit of the Irish Republic." in in the new york but he's always allowed to come back to the uk and i think that's very telling so people who said he's a traitor and there's all kind of stuff in like john bull and these other kind of uh, news rags that back in the day complaining about crowley but they always let him back in so i think in he you know there's a kind of a, a letter i think it's in the book that he sent to churchill i think saying hey i can talk to hess i have these these references let me, if you want me to kind of, uh, you know, debrief him, I'm at your service. So he was doing stuff like that all the time. So he's, he was definitely an asset. That's in um, Secret Agent 666. Great book. Highly recommend that book by, um, I can't remember the author now. I've had him on the show on a different different book, another historical book. But that's a really well-researched book. Um, so he came over on the Lusitania, the Lusitania Sinks, World War II. World War One, U.S. The big goal of the U.K. or British Empire was to get the U.S. in World War One and two. So uh, once the Lusitania sank, that all changed everything. The U.S. was now in the war. <coughs> so uh, Crowley left. Actually, he writes in his biography. He says, "My work was accomplished. I'm done." And then he left the U.S. and went back to the U.K. So I think he was always doing the infiltrating. And screwing around, he was in two magazines at that time, or two periodicals. One was called The Fatherland, and the other one, I can't remember the name of it now, but it's very interesting. He was in literature with 
the guy who wrote Trauma Novelle, Schnitzler. So he's around. He published in Vanity Fair, which is a magazine that's still around today. So you can actually go to the Vanity Vanity Fair um, website and look up Alistair Crowley's, you know, talking about the live, you know, the New York limelight. He stayed at one Washington place in New York City. That's where the Alamantra working. So he was always doing these workings, which are like magical practices. But they're not like what you would think, like somebody sitting in a room for eight straight hours. It was like over time. So he'd spend three hours this day, three hours the next, and the Alamantra working. And he was definitely like, uh, he's claiming to go to different realms, different, uh, you know, places talking to entities. And that's kind of the infamous, that's where the infamous picture of the kind of gray looking alien, he taught, titled it Lamb, which is not its name. It's a title. It's, it's based off of the word, word Lama, like the word from um, Tibet, Tibetan Buddhism. So that's what he called It's an honorific. So he called this entity kind of an honorable name. And that's kind of the weird thing about Crowley is because he inverts everything. So his Lord is Satan. So you kind of you have to kind of get into his reading because he's inverting and uh, Christian kind of terms. <clears throat> but yeah, the Alamantra working took place in New York City. A lot of people don't know the, the, how much Crowley really was in the States. And he's traveling around. He circumnavigated the globe, I think, twice. So he would come to the New York, and then he went to Florida, saw a friend, went to Louisiana. He was in, I think he, the first time he came through, he came through San Francisco right before the Great Earthquake, 1906 earthquake, and then traveled to Japan. So he, he was, yeah. He was very way, interesting. Way, way ahead of his time. I wonder if he's and summoning the that fact shit. that he's traveling all the time. So I think that his adventurism was very similar to what he was adventuring in the kind of realm of the occult and being really kind of a, you know, he tried to put together his own encyclopedia, which he called the Equinox. Which when you read through it, it's not like a, it's not like a standard encyclopedia. I think he did it because it looked great and kind of gave him some gravitas, gravitas like. Look, I can put this out, but it's really mostly his writing, and um, so that's kind of an that was right around that time. And the equinox, the picture of this being that he saw is in the equinox. The lamb, I think, is in the blue blue equinox version. And so that's really kind of one of the first. That's where the UFO ET really has uh, an important predicate of this. You know was really cruelly this kind of talking to some kind of weird entity on the calls all the way up to what it looks like the exact same same thing on communion on Woodley Strieber's book communion so um which is a whole nother do you think do you think that's why do you think that that's why maybe the current elite so to speak have are going to harness the alien theory is because that's what they've like well that's a great um, question I think that these a lot of these guys are talking to entities I really do and uh they're talking to discarnate beings, much more so than people would believe. So I think that, and that's really what Curly coveted. Like if you look through his whole corpus of work from the time that he, oh, like I missed the most important event of his life, which supposedly happened with the Book of the Law in 1904 in Cairo, Egypt. But if you look at all of his writings, and I don't claim to have gone through all of it, I've read a lot of his stuff, but he's always trying to see Awas, right? Which is this being that, that he later on explains in Magic and Theory and Practice is Satan, the Christian view of Satan. But he's always trying to, I saw Awas on the rocks. I I, I, I prayed to Awas. I did this to Awas. So he's constantly trying to find this entity. 
and communicate with spirits like he had the uh, sticks of the I Ching tarot he did his own tarot cards but he really that was a part of his magic was this kind of communication with other entities so if these other elites they might just be carrying it on you go through some weird stuff even like Laffley look up this guy Laffley who helped design the World Trade Center he had some spirit being he was talking to and he did a lot of very esoteric work art I mean you call it art people would call it art but it's very unique and um, he was a very he's passed away but he was uh, a very strange person communicate i forgot what the name of his entity was but you, like you talk to alan moore like you put out all these books he's definitely communicating with an entity he has a name of the entity that he's in communication with some kind of snake being like that's and he's he said alan moore said half of my time i spend on writing my books and the other half on occultism so wow. You know, so Crowley is this kind of like, a, like a, like an example, exemplar, exemplar of a lot of what these other guys do. So, I think you can see through Crowley a lot of kind of current day, current day occultism and occultists because they carry on. They, most of them, all of them, go through a Crowley phase. They, that's really the, like Mayan of the Order of Nine Angle, Order of Nine Angles, um, LeVay, and. Michael Aquino, all in common, they all had some kind of connection with Crowley or the OTL, Crowley. and then they went their own route. Yet they knew, uh, there was, I think they knew, Crowley's one of, the guy who claimed to be Crowley's follower was a guy by the name of McMurtry, who ended up in Berkeley, California. He claimed to be the caliph, cal the head of the caliphate that Crowley left. But he was right there in Berkeley, so a lot of these guys are very close to each other, so they were aware of the mutual kind of occultism. Um, but yeah, but they, they are always, the occult community is not a happy, bunch of happy campers. They're always sniping at each other and bitching at each other. And I include that in, um, I include that in global death cult, like this whole section of the letters of Stephen Brown, where they're sniping at each other and claiming they're fake. Each one is fake and not real and stuff like that. So, anyway, Crowley. Yeah. So Crowley like comes, he's in. Um, the U.S. leaves, starts his magical fraternity in uh, Chefalu, which is an island, I mean, a city in Sicily. He picks it be based upon its, like, coordinates, and it's really kind of like a dump. Yeah, it's really kind mm -hmm. of a dumpy thing that he kind of turned into his kind of ashram or whatever you call it, monastery. It's supposed to be kind of like a magical monastery. Horrible stuff happens, goats, blood, death. His follower there is uh, a guy by the name of, what was his name? Uh, it'll come to me. Raul Loveday. It was a guy who died there. People say that he died mysteriously or he died of some kind of uh, virus. He wasn't in great shape when he was younger. He was supposed to be Crowley's kind of, Crowley was always looking for an heir. He was very intelligent. I think he was Cambridge educated. But he had jumped off a church and landed on a, metal spike on his stomach perforated his intestines so he already had a pre-existing condition and then I, I don't think Crowley's magical fraternity was that clean so he passed away but you can you can go into the details of that it's really interesting because that magical fraternity then became kind of like a traveling point for occultists they would go there so I have pictures of Kenneth Anger there kind of uncovering the floor the magical floor 
I have, you know, and also Kinsey was really interested in Crowley. He was a total monster. He really changed the sexual uh, views of the world through Rockefeller funds, which is somewhat telling. And uh, <clears throat> all his research is trash. It's it's all straw. He never really could share his, his science. He's much like Fauci. You can't look through actually their research or know what's in there. Like, no, I'm not sharing with you. I just made it up. And all of his conclusions are right along Crowley's. They're actually carbon copies of Crowley's views on sexuality, which is no restrictions. Yeah. And everybody's everybody's gay and um, all that stuff. So that's so anyway, that's the Abbey of Thelema. So that became like a, a place to go to. And still to this day, it's really kind of like a barn. It's not even that big, big as big as an apartment. Um, that and the. Uh, <clears throat> The, the manor that Crowley had in Scotland are two places people go. They're restoring Crowley's uh, Bulliskin Manor right now, so it burned down uh, mysteriously. That was another kind of place for Crowley. But anyway, so he's at this magical fraternity. He's looking for adherence. <laughs> he's trying to grift off them. People travel there from England and go there and tell stories. There's a really, a lot of his biographers don't type key into this lady that was there her day she had a book called tiger woman who she really saw everything firsthand she was raul loveday's girlfriend and so she it's really amusing too because she was uh she was a uh she was like a fiery uh you know to take no i'm not taking any prisoners so she and crowley were fighting all the time it's really kind of amusing darkly amusing crowley's taking himself so seriously and he threatened to have her sacrificed and all this stuff. Uh, and that's included in the book, yeah. So you can look up Tiger Woman. I forgot her name offhand, but uh, it's like a really great firsthand account. And I can, you can see why people who are pro Crowley would ignore that or omit that from the record. But can you imagine really having? Can you imagine having friends like that? What did you do? You stole a flower out of my garden. I'm going to sacrifice you next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, her there were was, talks uh, about that. Betty yeah, Mae Golding. She, Betty Mae, thank you. Yeah, she was great. There's great pictures of her. She was a model, very pretty. Uh, she really kind of fit that the woman of that era, but she was not a uh, pushover at all. She's great, pretty great stuff. And she had an interesting life outside of Crowley too. But that's kind of like uh, that's where I got the information on Raoul Loveday. Like she, she knew his pre-existing condition. Um, so that's the Abbey of Lima. He literally gets kicked out of Italy by uh, none other than Benito Mussolini. Nino Mussolini kicked him out. And Crowley, actually, this is another example of Crowley being at the right place at the right time. He's in all these places where very important events are happening. World War One in the U.S. When Benito Mussolini's black shirts mar march on Rome, this is where they took over the fascists. Crowley was there. Crowley was there for three days, sending probably sending missives off. And he was always, he was a very uh much of a correspondence person there, there's so many letters of Crowley to so many different people like he was constantly like imagine like sending off 10 20 letters a day or something like that like you this these days people would just send an email but there's just so much correspondence in his in like different uh libraries around the world which i've seen um some you know and he had very important like connections which i go try to show in the book like some of his friends i showed that like children of the beast as well but so he's there when the black shirts march on Rome. He then gets kicked out. He flees to Algeria. Oh no, he uh, I think it was Algeria. Uh, uh, he flees south into into Africa. He's poor. He's begging for money. He's sick. He's got asthma. 
not in great shape in his 50s. And then kind of like that, that was kind of like the apex of his kind of career as an occultist. He ran out of money. And so he really relied upon funds from the U.S., from the Agape Lodge run by Jack Parsons. So he's waiting for his check to survive. He ends up back in England, retires into kind of a nice upper scale kind of retirement home in Hastings and dies in 1947, all the while still kind of practicing, still compiling stuff. Still, there's like, there's a compilation of his later writings where he's still communicating with people who are asking questions it's called Magic Without Tears. And you can see just him still, still being kind of like this uh, lecturer and advisor on magical practices. And, and people would go to Hastings, they're important current magicians who've written other stuff who kind of who like literally are spending time with Crowley McMurtry goes and visits Crowley. Um, so he dies and then uh, his ashes get lost. Like there's no burial for him. And <clears throat> so uh, yeah, there was okay. a service, but no, there's no, his ashes came to the United States and then supposedly got lost. Maybe some occultist knows exactly where they are, but he wrote a kind of a, uh, uh, his own epitaph in a poem like bury me in a shameless grave but bury bury me in a nameless grave that the earth may cover up my shame i think was the poem that he wrote that's it was, that's the way it came out that's what he like he self-acknowledged at the end like i might have been insane and uh you know he seemed to go through kind of a more self-analytical phase there in his 50s and 60s but he lived a long life i mean i think he was 72 72 when he died after doing tons of drugs too, like massive heroin addiction, like just totally reliant upon heroin to survive. I think it was 10 grains a day, which I think in that measurement is just like, you could kill an elephant with like the, what he was relying upon. But uh, yeah, he was definitely, and you can see some of his later pictures too. Like he had just bags under his eyes that were black. He almost looked like a raccoon. Like I think that uh, the drugs and the, his lifestyle t took its toll, but all that's that really the buy of coat. Sorry, all the traveling that he did at that stage as well was done on ships. And so right, you right. have to think of like about vitamin deficiencies and stuff like that for the long travels. Good point. And so he was there, and there's actually kind of funny little stories he had where he would meet other occultists or people, and people would meet him. So there's like weird things like. I just tried to include as many of those first-person accounts in Prophet of Evil, people who saw him. There was one guy, I mean, um, there were just other clever people who saw him. Like, there was one thing where he met a guy in south of London, and they had dinner, and Crowley had, like, a he was, like, his face looked like a, an elephant um, ear, like, he was bald, and Crowley's talking about, all my enemies are either dead or insane, he's telling him, Crowley's telling him, and really... He said, like, his tongue was, his tongue was, like, green or something from the, the drugs he took, and he smelled bad because Curly had this. He would always cover himself with uh, the elixir of life, which was some kind of weird mix. So, yeah, oily skin, like, he just, like, these first-person accounts of Curly are very telling. Like, I'm trying to remember what his name, because I talked to his son. Like, his son saw that I commented about his dad, and he reached out to me. And uh, I'm trying to remember his name. It's not Clifford Bax. Anyway, it'll come to me. Um, but he had like one of the uh, Knights of the Round Table name. I can't remember. 
Anyway, they're just funny little things where Crowley is running into people and telling stories about them. Like the stories of the climbing, other people put that in their biographies. Yeah, I went climbing with Crowley. It was, it was a disaster. And so you can read about those uh, those interactions he had with people in a lot of these. Just, just like uh, Betty May. So if he was, <laughs> that's the if background. He was... Yes. If he was so gross and disgusting, though, how did he get to be so powerful? I think that he was very intelligent and very manipulative. And I think that part of people impressed that element impressed them that Crowley was really different. So for people um, who met him, they said that he had a magnetic personality. So, you know, you see these other characters around him that. Uh, they fall. They fall into his grab. He had like what? How many Scarlet Women? I forgot what it was. Like nine, who were his magical partners. He branded each one of them with the mark of the beast. His mark of the beast. Like literally. I mean, think about a woman who falls under the will of Crowley and willingly gets branded like a a, a cow. Well, so it's like kind of like tattoos. That, it's kind of like oh, it's tattoos not a tattoo. It's a no. Brand. I know. Oh, that's no, true. Right. Right. It's like tattoos, people tattooing each other's names to each other. It's almost like a curse, literally. As soon as that happens, what happens? <laughs> right. Relationship usually falls apart. But also, I don't, I don't think you can discount the fact that these people, if they were hanging with him, they were obviously under the influence of drugs as well. Probably. So they weren't of sound mind at the time Good of point. these decisions are being made. I think that there's always kind of a curiosity with the occult in all times. Like there's always kind of an interest in how deep people go into it is a whole nother story. Crowley was the deepest, but like, oh yeah, you can, I can teach you how to have great wealth and have all your dreams come true. And you know, that's what Crowley promised through his magic is the realization of whatever you really want, self-realization. So if you're on that pathway, maybe you're not looking at it from God. But you want it from something else, Crowley would tell you, would try to advise you to do it. So maybe that's part of the attraction. And so that, that's always the attraction of power. So a lot of people who are not powerful, they want to find out how's that way to get power. So if, if Crowley's saying, yeah, I can get you, I can teach you how to have personal power and all that stuff. Um, some people say, mag- I've talked to people who practice magic. I don't practice magic in any way, shape, or form, but they say that uh, magic can work. So people have had positive results or self, you know, the results that they wanted from magic or whatever. <clears throat> so Crowley, <clears throat> I think that, that that is a good question is like how many, why are people still interested in him today? And how, how did he have so many influential people following back in the day? It's really an interesting question. I mean, I think that he was really a first rate mind. He had incredible powers of Expression. He could have probably done something else. Would have been very successful. Whether he wanted to be in a business or a much more um, standard, you know, entertainment, arts, and letters career. But you know, he he really wanted to go down that path. So I think that's really what happened. Yeah. So all those people got branded. He always had these followers. He uh, he. There's so many people, and I include them in the book. Who like came across his his world uh it was like jfc fuller who went on to be invited to hitler's birthday and was very influential on on land war actually he was also an occultist um what was the guy who wrote the magician i can't remember like these are people who went on to like big careers um that's a lot of different different people i can't remember the name of that author anyway 
so yeah so but the important thing about Crowley that leads up to 9-11 is his numerology was a reflection of his ideology so 11 represented so many things in Crowley's kind of outlook and it's included in the book of the law this most important thing that happened to him was the reception so he says of a book in 1904 in Cairo Egypt after going to see uh <laughs> Stella of revealing book 666 which supposedly tells him the book of that's right. So in there it says, those are my followers are 11. Um, so 11 pops up. And then his Crowley's dictum, the book of the law. I mean, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law is 11 words, 11 syllables. So you see that 11 pop up a lot uh, in Crowley's writing. And so, and it comes, comes out of his knowledge coming from uh, his earlier studies in the Golden Dawn which also had kind of this numbers and their power, and 11 was kind of a primary power, primary number in there, so I include that in the book, that reference. So then the 11s <clears throat> really per permeate like a lot of his, his material, and 11s is an important number. Some of his books are based on the number 11. Libra 11, 22, Libra 66 is the other one that includes child sacrifice in it. A lot of his biographers conveniently forget that. So 11 pops up, then his he was really much into, he was kind of, always calculating gematria and there's i there's a piece in my documentary prophet of evil where i show all of his calculations and numbers and words 418 was very important too that was his number four <clears throat> kind of the 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 illumination of the world was 418 actually so you'll see that on his layman you can i could probably pop, find that and pop that <clears throat> it's interesting. Johnny Depp's book about the transformation, a uh, movie about the transformation of the world came out on April 18th. <laughs> so when you kind of see that, I can't remember the name of that, that movie that he was in, but he basically becomes this elevated being who changes, changes the world through technology. Um, which is, yeah, we can go through Depp and Eccles later, but yeah, so 11 was very important. 77 was his kind of the marriage of the book of Babylon. So 77 is an important number of crow. 93 is crucial. He signed his doc his documents 93, 93, 93, which was shorthand for love, love under law, love under will. And so his words, he kind of was a dilettante as far as his language. He knew some Greek, he knew some Latin. He knew enough to of the Greek to name his religion Thelema and Thelema in English Gematria adds up to 93. And then Agape adds up to 93. So that that's was kind of a key number for him a key power number and then 175 you can look up libra 175 it's kind of a reference and it's common reference to a lot of occultists if you're really kind of a lucifer worshiper you adore him and that's what that's what 175 is and so you'll see all those numbers integrated all throughout the 9 even even integrated in the architecture of the world trade center so that kind of signals that there's definitely an occult subtext to the entire 9-11 event the date dates it's just you know i some people think actually still think that uh 19 terrorists committed that and uh, i feel sorry for them. well anytime you see the number 19 that should be a red flag that something's wrong COVID 19 19 hijackers on and on and on yeah i would, I would say so yeah, so I actually had a guy on just recently who's a Christian who, like, does not believe that. He believes the, the cover story. He believes the story of the 19 hijackers. I just couldn't bring myself to to try to, 
If you believe it's that amazing. passport story, I got a bridge to sell you. Yeah, no, there's so many whoppers there. I got some I mean, sand. Yeah, there's just so many whoppers, like that they took down these planes and nobody fought and let's roll box knives. Like, yeah, just, everything is fake. It's, yeah. And they can't. It's really hard for people to come to that conclusion that it's all fake. I think that's really it. Like, you're telling me these movies are based upon fake stuff and that the whole event was fake and that. It's all being structured. I mean, you can just go to Building Seven. That's that should tell you everything. That should just go. The whole story is wrong. Like, how's the third building flop on the same day? That's Especially all when you need a, to know. A BBC reporter standing there saying it collapsed when it's right over her left shoulder. <laughs> right. Twenty-five. And minutes it's. I mean, it's an incredible event. It's a world-changing event. Too. They, they they thought about it in detail. They war game just like this COVID thing. I'm sure. sure they just game war game to war game to war game. But what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? What's going to happen to this? What's the consequence of this? And do you think it was, or do you think it was actually planned according to, say, like a ritual that we're talking about now, like tying it back into, say, Alistair Crowley? Because there's, there's like, so let's just give a little bit more, like a bit more uh, zoomed in perception of who was in charge at that point of in time, right? So that right. was Bush. And there's rumors, very open rumors, that Barbara Bush and Alistair Crowley are related. So is that like, I don't know, you just see so many open ties there through whether or not it's a bloodline because everyone pipes on about bloodlines. Everyone is onto it, knows that there's something going on with bloodlines, right? This That's Absolutely. what... Every, that's that's what everyone is so focused on at the moment trying to find is what are so okay so my two questions two questions for you um have you found any real proof that he that that alistair crowley and the bush family are blood related no proof but the timing of her mother being in in france and knowing people who knew crowley is confirmed so it is uh what was her name? It's uh, her her mom. So go go. I mean, you have to look at the elite of the U.S. The city of light was Paris, so people always wanted to go to Paris. That was kind of like the, um, you know, intellectual, creative people always were going to Paris at that time. Not anymore today. It's a disaster. But back in the day, back at the turn of the century, it was really something else. And um, so th that was there. Crowley had left the Abbey of Thelema. He came back. He had this guy, Frank Harris, was also kind of in the same thing. Harris and Crowley were together. Crowley writes about it. He was doing magical workings there. I think he actually ran into, at this time, it was uh, oh, Stravinsky. Not Stravinsky. Who's the other kind of like occultist at that time? It was uh, Ospensky? No. Anyway. Bavosky? It was it not the girl, Blavatsky. the lady? No, no, no. It was another guy. I can't remember his name right now. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, some of these names, I'm not remembering. I should. Anyway, Harris and his wife, and Crowley was doing something called ECL at the time. He was doing what this other, his magical workings are very, they're all guided, shielded in confusing language, but ECL is easy to figure out. Erotocomatose lucidity, lucidity, which was you basically have sex as much as possible, and then you kind of go into kind of some post yogic state where. Your body, your spirit leaves your body and you travel through the planes, right? Planes of existence. So that, so the job of that to maintain that, you have to have servitors. And the rumor is that Barbara Bush's mom was one of those servitors, but she knew Frank Harris's wife, and that was really it. So that's, 
and the timing is about right. I think Barbara Bush was born in 26 or 27. Yeah. And she looks just like Crowley. I mean, she looks like a freaking carbon copy of his head's the same. <laughs> one of the distinguishing nice. characteristics, yeah, one of the, uh, you can just overlook them. They look the same. She, they act the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, like, oh, he, did, when there was here, there was that big, um, there was that big storm and it, it hit Louisiana, if you remember that. And all those people had to go into the stadium and there was like rapes and people were going to the bathroom and all this horrible stuff. And she's like, Oh no, this is so good for them. This is really the great spot. Like she had the same attitude of Crowley towards these poor hapless people who had just gotten hit by a hurricane. I can't remember which hurricane it was that destroyed Louisiana. But she says statements sure. like that all the time, weird things. But she looks like him, but Crowley's one of the distinguishing characteristics, other than his huge bags under his eyes when he was older, was that he had a big head. He had a big head for his body. And you can see pictures from one of his uh, one of his hiking expeditions. You can just see how skinny he is and how big his head is. And some of his pictures, you will see him wearing a scarf. And it, the reason that he wore the scarf was to, to hide the fact that his head was disproportionate to his body. He's actually Irish. He, he comes from an Irish background, which they, you know, sometimes they sit, you know, you know there's a, that, that's a characteristic <laughs> of Irish people. It's a nice way to say it. So, she, go look at Barbara Bush. She has a huge block head. It's just like Carly. So, so those hints, people have tried to disabuse me. It can't be true. But the timing, the overlap, the mother, her name was Pierce. His mother's name was Josephine Pierce. Something I can't remember. But she's a Pierce and she's her bloodline. Go look at her. I mean, I think it was McCall's magazine, which used to be big. But I think one of her parents or one of her relatives was like Morgan Witter. Like they're Morgan Witter Pierce or something. Like she comes from a financial background, which is very telling. So both sides of the Bush family money uh, from, from and their bloodline. People have traced their bloodline all the way back to. Uh, the guy who died on uh, Jacques de Molay. Have you heard that? The Bushes are related to Jacques de Molay? The, um, George uh, Bush. George Bush. George Herbert Walker Bush and George Bush Jr. are related all, to Jacques de Molay, who was the, of, who was the um, Templar guy who was killed by the king, and they took all their money. They saw them as a threat. And that Jacques de Molay is a huge... The Jacques de Molay Society is kind of like a porch masonry society for young people. So they get into masonry, and we and they're yeah, they're That's in the house of the temple. The Bushes are in the they have a placard in the house of the temple for donating it. The, the house of the temples in D.C. People always gloss over that too. I had this guy, this Christian. I'm not going to name his name, but he misses a lot, man. He missed a lot, and it, I that family's been involved in a lot of skullduggery, even back in World War II. So uh, Prescott Bush and stuff like that. There's oh yeah. Um, so the going getting back to the thing is Barbara Bush Crowley. I haven't been, I don't have conclusive proof, but there's a lot of eerie similarities that don't go away, and it goes all the way to 9 11 with all the numerology and really the actions of the Bush. I mean, you can't write this that in George Bush gave his famous New World Order speech on September 11, 1990, 11 years to the date of 9 11. Do you think that's random? That shows you the structure of these people. And how how powerful they really are. They don't show their they, they're really truly the truly powerful people never really show their power because they know how much power they have. The real fake ones, the fake money people, 
uh, glitter, jewelry, cars and stuff, but the real money uh, and power is different. And William, so, one thing that, that should really show to people is how far in advance these events are planned out. Yeah. You know, we, we, our term, uh, long-term plans for people like you and I, maybe six months, you know, that's planning way down the road. These people have this stuff. Uh, there's still people that don't understand that these towers, when they began construction in 1968, they were built with the intention they were going to last 33 years, not a day more. I, I truly believe that in my heart. I believe, I, I mean, they're, they're built by David Rockefeller and Nelson Rockefeller, and they stand out. They, they're a giant 11. They're just a huge... Yep thing i mean you have you ever seen the picture of david rockefeller with his watch it says 9 11 on it he's on the cover of newsweek or whatever these they built it with the knowledge i mean it's really fascinating because <clears throat> as it was being built the, <clears throat> the foundation of it and everything kubrick and clark are sitting like close to the where it's being built right in 2001 so this is weird correlations in 2001 the size of the monolith is an 11 according to them the monolith is 11 feet tall. These are can I, random. They're not random. Do you reckon Do you reckon maybe they poured his ashes into the base of that thing before, while they built it, and then when they knocked it down, they granted his wish by burying him under the earth? There's a lot of secret stuff that I don't oh, know. Oh, snap. Don't the know. official story is he's he's buried, his ashes are buried somewhere in New Jersey. I think they said yeah. Hampton, New Jersey. Yeah. That, well, that's I, I, according to my Damn. research, there's no known spot. Of crows, crows that's interesting. Ashes. But yeah, Barbara Bush. I mean, she let's just go look at a picture. I don't know. I mean, it would yeah. make perfect sense. It all yeah. kind of fits together. I agree. And I've then got you got the little... bloodline, and, and it goes into Kubrick. I think Kubrick was really genuinely, generously telling people about these type of people in Eyes Wide Shut. I really yeah. think he tried to get that message out. It's a brilliant book. It still holds up. And I did a really good analysis of that. I mean, Sean McCann really. But I did an analysis, and it's all bloodline people. It's all hell heraldry type people involved in these eyes wide shut parties. There's eleven servitors at the party that Tom Cruise is at. Harford walks in. There's eleven women. You, Shit. you at a certain point, these aren't random. Yeah, right. You, I mean, it's come on. These poor Christians, man. I mean, I'm a Christian, I, too, but George, the coincidence jar is hit. Hit new it, levels. It's full. We need to get a yeah. new one. Yeah. <clears throat> but, Definitely. Uh, William, have you heard the story about Stanley Kubrick and uh, obviously the night he premiered? <clears throat> I'm sorry, the night he premiered uh, Eyes Wide Shut to the Warner Brother producers at whatever hotel he was staying at. There was, there was a big fight that broke out, um, and of course he went back to his room that night and he died on March 7th, 1999. Um, his most famous movie was uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey. And if uh, I'm a big numerology guy, from March 7th, 1999 to January 1st, 2001 is exactly 666 days. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think the public cut is, the, is Kubrick's cut. Oh, no, they said they there's 25 minutes that were cut out. Yeah. That's what so I've heard. We don't have the full story. There's enough there. Yeah. But, um, I mean, Kubrick was uh, high, just one of the greatest intellects in film ever. He just really, he could integrate everything. He was very experienced. So he had been making films for so long that he knew, he was just like a like a renaissance painter. Everything in the square has importance. And you can really, you don't see that in other films. You might pe see people trying to do that in other films. But really every sequence was rich with meaning and 
art and his light and everything. I mean, he was really on next level. And his work will last as long as the world spins. Yeah. But I think he really was trying if to it tell spins. about these events. Yeah, if it spins for <laughs> It's not flat. Oh, I don't think it's flat. I don't think it's flat. I don't think it's flat. Somewhere in between. It might not spin. It might not spin. (laughs) Oh, right. Well, go talk to some of these flat earthers. I talked to one. He doesn't believe in anything. He didn't believe China existed. He didn't believe in India. I was like, wow, we're on a whole. We are. We're on the same planet, but we are the other opposite sides of the universe, baby. Because it was something else. Anyway, I think Eyes Wide Shut was really foretelling kind of 9-11. Like, this is the people who are going to be involved in this. So I, th- I think that there was actually 1999 was a year of very important occult, occulted films, and it would be Eyes Wide Shut, Ninth Gate, and Fight Club. Fight Club. Also, mm. It was mm-hmm. also foreshadowed. Also foreshadowed 9/11. So people knew. They knew what was coming. Well, Spielberg knew. I, I sent um, Kayla a clip this morning of all the different movies. Spielberg did between 77 and the late 90s that had 9-11 references all throughout them. He's part of the club. Well, we just found out, I just found out recently, Klaus Schwab was in Manhattan on 9-11-2001. Yep. Indeed you. he was. And he's really, he's really an acolyte of Kissinger. Mm-hmm. Who was going to be, who was going to be the head of the 9-11 commission? Did anybody want to take a guess? Henry Kissinger. Remember who they tried to get in? Right. <laughs> I mean, these kind of coincidences over time, like, it's so frustrating to talk to some of these people and you can't take that next step. Yeah. You can't put it together. Indeed. You can't put it together. So, I think that's a trauma thing. I think I genuinely feel like that's a trauma thing. Like, um, like I've, I'm reading articles, what, how many years later about kids that were in the wombs of mothers during this whole ordeal are actually experiencing PTSD and they weren't even alive technically at that time outside of their mother's body. So, so like, I don't know. I feel like that that's a per the reason why it was such a massive event and the reason why it's still talked about now and the reason why they used that and utilized it as a ritual was for all these reasons, right? It's like, it, it's an amalgamation of all of these things, good, like magical or not, that brings so much um, trauma and attention to the situation. And they feed on that trauma, right? It's yeah, like right. it's like harvesting a scream, right? So if someone gets fearful and is that's, – that's two generations at least of people that are experiencing trauma from something that killed 3,000 people versus a war. Say, well, look at what we're experiencing now. We've lost more more – millennials in one year than we did over 10 years during Vietnam war from this death shot. What? And no one is saying anything. And, but we still talk about three and a half thousand people. How many years later? Do you see what I like? The, right. No, they're using it. Right. Yeah. No, they did. And they did. That's the intent behind it. Don't you think is to, yes, I mean, it's a massive trauma inducing event. Massive. And that's what Either they way you on. look at it, even, even if Osama bin Laden did it, Either way you look at it, it's a huge trauma, and that they worked that into two foreign wars and control and getting rid of the constitution. I mean, it's incredible sure. what they got away with. That Patriot Act was written well before nine eleven ever happened. Well before, yeah, and everybody just went along with program. I mean, it was it's it's all it's all planned. Yeah. So the trauma, well, I like- think trauma trauma is a very important element of the world we live in now. I think even them trying to harp like you're going to die if you don't take the shot, you're dead. <laughs> They yeah. actually yeah. said that on the winter on, of uh, death. Yeah, winter of death and despair, or take the shot. So I mean, look at how many people went and took it. Um, 
So there, the, the the use of trauma. These guys know how to do that because what happens and, when you get traumatized? Then you're much more suggestible. Well, and you, you want to be, and, and you want you want to you want to seek safety from someone that you see higher than you. So, like a parent, you would normally seek safety with. It's like you seek safety from then the state because you don't have anyone else that could protect you as such and you exist then as a victim in in it that's exactly what we're in right now is humanity is in a domestic a domestic violence uh, situation we are in a domestic abuse situation go back and look at all the speeches of george bush jr and look at how many times he says i'm here to keep you safe that is my job is your safety he's these guys know all these techniques it goes all <clears throat> Michael Aquino. All, it goes all the way back just to do one more thing. And Nelson Ro- Nelson Rockefeller, these guys, these are kind of like kings of the earth type stuff like Revelation. Yep. Nelson Rockefeller after World War II was the head of what was MK, MK Ultra, the behavioral modification. He was the head of that. And then he in 68, he puts together with his brother this huge building. Nelson Rockefeller is a key to 9-11. You wouldn't believe it. He died like having sex with his uh, paramour, but these guys know the that information is 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 not recently with the internet it's coming out but that information was kept at the highest top secret levels within the u.s government so the people don't know they don't even have a frame of reference to fit that information into their minds because it's all a lot of it was really top secret now it's leaked out and stuff through uh boyo requests and stuff like that but imagine knowing all that stuff about behavior modification and utilizing all that stuff Michael Aquino had a huge part of that, and the fact that he was a Satanist as well as being top ranked. What 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 was his rank in the army colonel? again? I think he was a colonel. It yeah, was, I think it was, was a full bird colonel. Yeah, yeah, he was he was high ranked. That's one yep. of how high is that rank, George? Uh, it's one uh, rank short of a general. There you go. It's that's that right there doesn't if that doesn't say anything about what what they gathered from those programs and then filtered say through people like Michael Aquino who gave them higher powers in places like the U.S. government that yeah that this is the result right. of that. Hello, MK Hello often they don't understand they were studying the occult in the MK Ultra programs. One of, of the sub projects was uh, MK often, which was occult information does this work and they were you know they studied everything it really is incredible of course i have yeah and so why do you I think, think they focus on it they worked out that it worked and then yeah, they right, hid the right. stuff from us yeah. they hid the stuff from us that they know works and they hid the yeah. stuff from us that they know would work for us not against us right so they use the stuff that they can against us but they also hide the stuff that could potentially potentially turn this fucking ship around to be brutally honest very well said very well said mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree with you I wanted to ask William a question, if it's okay. Um, you know, I do believe this was a ritual. Obviously, we all know it was planned in advance. But do you take any the, the whole thing with the the my pet goat being read at the time with the chanting? Absolutely. And then, of course, the, the gentleman who wrote the book, his name is uh, Engelman. I think it was. Uh, uh, I can't think of his first name, but it's a very German name. But the word Engelman means it's a Jewish Ashkenazic meaning, and it's angel man. Uh, wow. And of course, with the chanting, the goats steal and all this stuff. Do you think that was? Is don't there anything for, to don't that? forget when she says, "Go get your books," and all the kids bow down. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, like, I'll go just get play the books. Clip. They bow down and pop up. I'll play. Like, I'll play the yeah. clip. I'll play the yeah. clip really quick, everyone. Here we go. Oh. Uh, developed a relationship.
Get ready to read all these words on this page without making a mistake. Look at the letter at the end and remember the sound it makes. Get ready. Kite. Yes, kite. Get ready to read this word the fast way. Get ready. King. Yes, kick. Sound it out. Get ready. King. Sound it out. Get ready. King. What word? Kick. Yes, kick. Boys and girls, sound this word out. Get ready. Steel. What word? Steel. Yes, steel. Read these words the fast way. Get ready. Play. Yes, play. Get ready. Must. Yes, must. Let's read these words the fast way without making a mistake. Get ready. Kite. Yes, kite. Get ready. Kick. Yes, kick. Get ready. Steal. Yes, steal. Get ready. Play. Yes, playing. Get ready. Must. Yes, must. Go to your speaker reader up from under your seat. Open your book up to lesson 60 on page 153. <laughs> Bow down. Yeah. Wow. Did you see George Bush? You could almost tell he was like so excited. He was the whole time they were chanting. That's just, just I still can't get over that to this day. But if you look at these rituals, if people do these rituals, everything has to be in the place to give it the most power. So yeah. you can even go through what happened in West Memphis 3. Full moon, mm -hmm. water, binding, yeah. all the stuff, the torture. I mean... This, so this thing is very similar and it's all makeup and that's why the numerology is to give it the most power and i mean you can go look at what is it millennium hotel it's a huge uh, monolith right next to 9-11 it's always in the foreground of the buildings flopping um that's owned by the hilton family i want to their bloodline so uh yeah i think it was ritualized absolutely thanks and that this this is a reflection of what these guys do in the tomb in Bohemian Grove in these skull other places. And bones. Skull and bones, yeah. yeah. So they're all, and you can go the skull and bones. There was a guy's name I can't believe I can remember his name. Rosenbaum was a Yale student who filmed the introductory <gasps> ritual of skull and bones in the in the thing. You can pull up the video. <clears throat> it's like a traumatization thing too. It's like the trauma is involved in that as well because they're screaming at people. They're in masks. What are you doing? Right. So there's some kind of introductory thing. And I've kind of seen the same thing in these fraternities too, like just a standard fraternity to college. There's a lot of traumatization and binding. It's not stated openly, but like to get in, you have to be with your brothers, right? And then they spank you or make you do crazy stuff, age you, and then you're in. And then and then that you become the traumatizer, right? Once you get past it all. So I think that may be the same type of thing is happening in a lot of these cult groups too. Like you have to do stuff to be loyal. And that's the same thing in, in frats. Like, you have to do loyalty stuff. I see similarities overlapping between those kind of groups. Yeah. So interesting, though. I, 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 was, I, I was trying to count the number of times those kids were made to repeat those individual words. Did you hear oh, yeah. how that was teacher it was? Uh, no, but it was in groups of three. If you go, if you go back and you play, play it the way that they say the words, each word is said three times. That's interesting. It is. It's very. There's, the there's an article I just put in the private chat. You can you can check out that. It's not the video though. Let's see. Skull and Bone video airs. Oh, that's from April twenty fifth, two thousand one. Yeah. That's yeah. five months prior. I think that's interesting. They let that out of the bag right before. See, Ooh, wow. so do you think that that do you think that that has part to do with like that natural law thing that I keep harping on about, George? Maybe, 
like that they had to give they have to get your uh, whether it's silent consent or, consent or not yeah. they have to get some sort of consent by putting it in your face and saying here it is and we just let it go and like it goes into the hindsight yeah. and that comes back to the psychological operations of understanding how our minds work subconsciously versus consciously and being able to throw those things at us so that we register it in our brains but that we don't see it with our eyes that's right. They, they, these people are the masters of emotion. And shame on us for, and we got so worked up into the actions of that day. Uh, within two days, they were cleaning up the crime scene and sending this stuff off to China. When said, so wait a second, this is the largest crime scene in American history. Let's slow down a bit. Let's start asking questions. How the hell is L. Paul Bremer in the NBC studios three hours later saying it was Osama bin Laden? How, how does he know that? We have to slow down the next time we have one of these events, and it's not if, it's when. People need to put on their critical thinking hats, and let's be a little less, um, you know, let's not roll up our sleeves so quick to take a magical elixir. Let's not accept the, the narrative of the people in Washington, D.C., which we've never had a good president. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. I don't believe we've ever had a good president. Going back to the original Freemason, George Washington, to the most tyrannical president of our lifetime, Abraham Lincoln, and to the last five monsters we've had, um, Listen, one of the biggest lies that anybody could ever tell you is your child can grow up and be president of the United States. Nothing could be further from the truth. You're, you're not part of the bloodline. So let's get that straight. But we really need the reason why we have to continue talking about the, the, the COVID, you know, what's happened over the last two and a half years, and certainly 9-11, which was one of the biggest rituals. Man, and you can certainly see our timeline kind of just completely skewed when that after that day happened. Uh, our morals as a country have completely gone off the cliff. It's really uh, something that still we need to hold people accountable for while we still can and not like our, you know, the generations before who allowed the people um, who, who had um, John F. Kennedy murdered. They all got away with it. Yeah, they did. And they got away with 9-11 as far as I'm, I can tell. Nothing's yeah. really going to happen. Nothing, nothing substantive. And I think really interesting, I was studying the JFK. I've done a lot of JFK interviews, JFK assassination interviews on my podcast. But uh, one of the guys who was a big researcher and a lawyer, his name was Vincent Salandria. And he did a lot of research, knew it was fake, got figured it out. But he, his conclusion was the reason they did it just like that is because they knew they were going to get away with it. And that's the real story of JFK assassination is we are in power. This yeah. is how powerful we are and we can change all the, everything, even up to history itself to kill, to kill this person who offended us or was a threat to us. And I, that, that, that was the oh, conclusion. He was right. I, I think he's right. I I feel like it was a kind of stripping down of the American patriotism as well, right? Because, like, everyone was behind what he was standing for. And I feel like that was kind of like a shot across the bow at the American people. Like, oh, you have hope? Okay, well, watch us take that hope right out from underneath your feet when it means the most, right? And then because no one's let go of it, it's like the Pfizer documents now. They were trying to withhold those for 75 years. That's what they did with the JFK stuff. They keep pushing them back. They keep yep. pushing them and back. And I was like just about won't... to say that because yeah, yeah. that those papers were up for opening again during Trump's latest reign and he couldn't get them out apparently. Like, what? Okay. Mr. Walsh I think, I think Trump, getting, Trump getting de-elected was also kind of like showing who's really in power like it was and it's and it started it started with bill clinton and monica Lewinsky because the american people and on a, on a on a like on a 
on a level, on a Christian level, were betrayed in such a way that now it's just like whatever happens from now on in is just like whatever. Do you know what I mean? If they can do that and degrade themselves in the White House and then lie about it. Yeah, I think that something happened in the United States. There's been, I mean, there's always been a bloodline, but something happened after World War II. Different crew of people came into power. Oh, yeah. And I think it's very interesting, too. Uh, I've been studying Ruby. uh, What was his first name? Jack Ruby, Rubenstein. But he said really prescient, like really spot on things that sounds like a conspiratorialist today online, or sounds like me. But he was telling people in public, this is so deep, I can't get into it. I'm not allowed to talk about it. And he said, we are now entering a totally new form of government. This is the ex- this is the expression of a totally new form of government. That's what he said, and I think he was right too. Yeah. So Ruby Ruby was really on point, and they killed his ass. I think they give gave him something like forty seven consecutive X rays. Like <laughs> That'll do it. That'll yeah. give you cancer. Oh. And forty seven equals eleven. Yeah. yeah. So I, I have think... to go look it up. Like there's there's probably a fact, but yeah. So I think that looking at all of these events, nine eleven, this COVID event. JFK is very important because you're you're definitely seeing a different a different uh, it's not it's not this whole liberty and justice for all it's oh, not no. Yeah. no our constitution totally is simply a piece of paper that is on display at a museum at this point well that's what that's what you can go back and look this up too is George Bush was caught saying in the White House about the constitution he says it's just an effing piece of paper Yep. You can look that up. Here. Because it is, because there's no one willing to fight for what it stands for anymore. No. And, well, actually, you know what? Let's take that back. Let's hope Let's hope that there's something that's going on outside of what we know right now. Because who wants to put that shit on the internet, right? Who wants to put that they're, they're going to take back the, the country on the internet? No one, shit, because otherwise it'll get swept out. Hey, I'm FBI on board with Q. I'm on board. We're right. just tomorrow. I think tomorrow all the good guys are going to come out and and save the day they're gonna the posse's coming in that's what q and i says it kind of says over and over i'm being sarcastic tomorrow oh okay yeah. i was gonna say no, there's like free pizza oh, tomorrow tomorrow yeah. again it's always tomorrow <laughs> yeah exactly tomorrow again right. well just said keep waiting. like just keep how many waiting. times can you fall boosters. for that hook that's what i want to know like how many times just, can you be a sucker no, good guys are there just keep taking your boosters yeah just keep wait, taking uh, your boosters and waiting yeah. until everyone dies off so that there's not enough people to fight back there you go. The, there, there's a huge tidal wave coming. People don't realize it yet, but if that thing injured 15% of the population one way or another, you take the population that took it here, 80% of the people, do the numbers, over 300 million, that means that, you know, there's there's 30 million people who have some kind of injury one way or another, if not just outright dead. Right. I think it's a huge number. This fall and winter is going to be brutal, William. I really do. You I saw Walensky. She, she Walensky, like I think even two or three weeks ago, said it's still safe and effective. She was still saying that. Oh well, they're introducing a new one in September that is better than yeah. the old one. It's new and improved. They're gonna have like oh, the Sham oh. Wow guy introduce it. It's right. It's quite. It's quite. It's quadrivalent. I mean, at what point do you realize you've been swindled? That's what I want to know. Like they said, just one. There was going to be one shot, and you will be totally immune. Right? You'll be totally. That's right. Oh, now we got another one. Oh, now what's called this? Not called this one a booster. Well, you have another one, and I mean the weird word games and stuff like that. They just keep coming, and people just got led down this this road. It's incredible. Like how 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 did we get here? 
Like even I mean, even if you remove everything else, right? Just remove all other conspiracies, right? Who the hell on this earth likes having a needle? Who on the who on earth? Well, unless you're a drug addict, we we constantly fight to, to teach our kids that that health doesn't come from something like that, right? Like, so why would you line yourself up anyway for a vaccine just because of the what? shot? Like, I'd be hesitant just because of the the application of it. Do you know what I mean? Not even you don't know what's, what's in there. In Nobody's ever d- d- divulged what's in this shot and no. either the other shots. This brings into question the entire vaccine regimen. And what else have they oh, done? Always in the has. Past vaccines, yeah. Always has. I mean, the house has been on fire for a long time. Yeah, it's been on fire. I think been, that this just brings down. it down. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it brings into question the, the targeted adult. the targeted global application of poisons in populations through vaccines. Yeah. Not just yep. this one. It's everything. There was a guy on TV. I said we never had autism in um, Vietnam until Bill Gates Foundation brought in. Yep. vaccines so yep. what are they they know is there's i mean i when you see different lots and you're going to like a, what's my batch and the different batches are have different levels of toxicity somebody's gaming this they're gaming it it's yep. not they should if it's you know there should be uniform results all the way through the batches well, there shouldn't so be interest- any variation there's interesting. Variation. So there's there's variation in the batches, but here's the other interesting that thing that they've just found this week is that even though there's variation in in the batches, every single vaccine doesn't matter what brand it is is all the same. They don't have any different components in it. There's nothing. There's nothing new in even across Sputnik, Novavax. All of them have been tested in this lab, and all of them have the same contents in it. But it's all the same from the same batches. So do you know what I mean? Like the batches yeah. from the same time frames across all vaccines. So even though it's different in batches, it's same across all brands. What? Yeah. How? That's interesting. Yeah. I thought that it came out. I thought that Sputnik came out of a completely different Russian. So does based... Novavax. So does Novavax. Novavax yeah. comes out of Australia. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Oh, it comes from. So it, why? It, Novavax, why is that? Why is that? No idea. We're just trying to work it out. Everyone's oh. everyone's asking these questions because these are the results of the latest. So this is the largest amount. I think there was like um, 173 or something like that. There was there was a large number of vaccines, and they've been doing it over the last say three weeks or four weeks that they've gotten hold of all of these vaccines so that they had it isolated in batches and they were properly stored. So the problem is is that most of the vaccines that have been tested and shown on slides have been outside of the refrigeration recommendations, right? So they can't right. say that this is what this is what they registered to be an approved product, so to speak, if you know what I'm saying. So on a legal matter, they're trying to get it so that they can test the vaccines when it's gone through a, um, what do they call that? The chain of evidence basically is kept up so that they don't lose the temperature control of the vaccine. Because apparently, well, I mean, if it has to be below 70 degrees, there's something going on with temperature right. there, right? right? Absolutely. So like that that's that's sub that's like sub below temperatures and and it's interesting because looking into parasites i'm really looking into parasites in the last six months or so and one of the things that they found with parasites is that you can freeze them at low low temperatures like say minus 60 to 70 degrees mm-hmm. and then you can just pull them but you can just defrost them and they're alive again and they just they will literally just breed as they as they wake up and they're warm enough again they wow. will literally just start breeding and eating straight away like that's super disturbing yeah 
it's yeah, so indeed. disturbing, especially if they're genetically modifying pieces of these parasites, right, and putting in all of these different mechanisms. Like, so say, say that, that that body of that parasite and the way it acts, it's loaded, it's loaded with the program of the bioweapon. Do you see what I'm saying? And then so that, that parasite is how it gets through your entire body. That's how it's spreading. It's like the lipid nanoparticle. I think that's what's... <laughs> I think that's why everyone's so confused about what's in this. I think that that one little tiny cell is everything. I think that that one little tiny cell is full of all of that stuff that like the bioweapon stuff. Do you know what I mean? And everyone's looking at it like a hydrogel, but it's actually got the actual bioweapon contained inside that. Right. I see. Yeah. And then so it's as self-contained. Decide... Self and then, yeah, right. so I've heard the same thing. So that the, the lipid thing is containing and keeping safe something else. And that lipid right. burns away either through 5G or heat or something. And then three, the parasites. Three, three one minute continuous pulsations of 18 gigahertz. That's it. Wow, that's crazy. <clears throat> the uh, I would recommend everybody who ever took this shot to just take do a couple rounds of ivermectin just to get anything in your body out of it. Clay, wow. baking soda, chlorine yeah. dioxide, everything that you can get that's cheap yeah. and on your in your cupboard. It literally, just message message me. I'll do a Substack article on it. Clay baking soda. Yeah, what's that clay stuff. that you can eat? Like I think you can get it at the dimentatious earth. Dimentatious earth. earth. Yeah, yeah, and you should be doing that at least once a month anyway for anyway, two, right. three days a month. Like you don't, yeah. well, you don't know what's coming out. I saw another video online where they took a sh a casing of a of a pill from a pharmaceutical company. You can watch this, and it dissolved, and the guy took a uh, magnet. And it was freaking metal. It was the same stuff they're putting in these graphene shots. oxide. Graphene it's the oxide. graphene. Yeah. And he, you can see yeah. it. He just showed the whole thing. He didn't cut the tape. He didn't do anything. He just put down his camera and said, "So this graphene oxide is in other things too." So you're getting bombarded. If you're not getting bugs yet or some kind of bug ingredient, it's crazy. It's like there's no like there's nobody from the legal de like the Department of J I wouldn't even call it Department of the Work. The Department <laughs> of J. Like what are you doing? What are, you, what are you going after Trump's like documents? This is a huge, there's like a, you know, Godzilla-sized problem, and you're dilly-dally-dallying dilly around the FBI? What well, the hell are you doing? Listen, the FBI is owned. So I, I, I rewatched I re that stuff. I sent both of you that clip of John DeCamp. I, I don't know if I've ever oh, seen right, that right, interview yeah. or not. I have. That, I've seen that, the whole thing. I talked to Tate. You know, Tate was the guy who did all that stuff. Tate, I've interviewed so, him, so, like, yeah. Interviewed him, like, three or four times. Oh wow! Tim Tate. That's Tim Tate. Yeah, that's cool. So is Ed yeah, Opperman. You can listen to Ed, the Ed Opperman report, I, talking about. I yeah, love like Opperman. Listening to Ed. Conspiracy yeah. of Silence. Yeah. Ed does good work. He did a that's, great job on the West Memphis, uh, the West Memphis Three as well. Really, good I was job. on there with Dave, Dave McGowan. So we talked about the West Memphis Three. Dave, I just read a bunch of Dave McGowan stuff on the West Memphis. You had a chance to be with Dave McGowan. Yeah, I knew Dave. Oh wow! What a great book, man! Oh my god! I have a signed copy of Weird Scenes from him. Man, somebody, somebody's gonna pay me a thousand dollars for that signed copy from Dave. Man, that's one of my favorite books of all time. And I'd like yeah. to, uh, on another time, if we can ever do this again, talk about like Jimmy Page and Aleister Crowley and, and the things you know, the, how uh, Crowley affected the music in the '60s. Obviously, it was on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's, on and on and on and on. But he uh, might have been Sergeant Pepper. He might have been Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, exactly. I've heard that too very recently. Twenty years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught That's the band. That's right. To play. Twenty days it was released from the time he died, right? Forty seven to sixty seven, right? right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me that's not poetic.
That is so poetic for him. He loved that sort of shit. Yeah. Yep. It makes sense. Sergeant Pepper like an authority, and then the Pepper's like the dark yep. black magic reference. Yeah. Guaranteed to make you smile. <laughs> right. That's Kayla, enough. did you freeze? Or are you just freezing. so stunned by that revelation? <laughs> yeah, that was it. She dropped out. <laughs> Stream here dropped out. Um, yeah, we can talk about that anyway. That's all in my book, Children of the Beast. That's kind of like how the progression went. It went Prophet of Evil. Then I was going to write Children of the Beast. And then I got wrapped up in the West Memphis Three. So my second book was Abomination. And then Children of the Beast was my third. That's and then awesome. I did a smaller... So I don't really promote it, but it's uh, Alistair Crowley, a visual study. So if you're more of kind of a visual learner, you can check that out. It's super cheap on uh, Kindle. And it's just all of Crowley's pictures that I've kind of accumulated. And then my fifth book is uh, Global Death Cult, which is a little bit odd and strange, too, because um, like we're going through like a death cult situation now in the world. Yeah, so aren't crazy. we? Yeah, absolutely so, are. Every anyway. single day, just in the last 24 hours, one of the executives for the Miami Dolphins died. He was 47. And then um, who, who just died a few hours ago earlier today? Uh, another young guy. They're just And they're normalizing it with this sudden adult death syndrome. They're even giving it a name to, to try to normalize it. It's just... Uh, yeah, and then you're awful. seeing it through, uh, seeded through the media too. Oh, what could be causing these weird deaths? Heat. And that shows you <laughs> very sinister, super sinister. That's something very sinister, this fascistic crossover nobody wants to use the word fascism but it's fascism when the businesses on the media and are in the government when they're all working together it's not good that's yeah. why they have like anti-monopoly rules and all kinds of stuff like you're not supposed to have this kind of aggregation of of uh, power so people can't get any honest truth i mean all of the the lies for covid all came through the television so absolutely mostly so yeah, and the Smith they're all got bought. They all got manipulated. MSNBC is owned by Gates. Fox got paid off through uh, advertising. So it's bad. Yeah. So, gosh. But there okay, she is. She's back. Yeah. There you go. Oi. Hi. Hey. Good to see you. I just wanted to give you a heads up. I, I've got to head downtown here in a few minutes. Absolutely, guys. So sorry I dropped out then. No, no worries. No we, we kept it rolling. We kept it going. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming and, like, having this little awesome powwow. I love it. Yeah, this was awesome. Yeah. You guys are amazing. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you, William. Yeah, likewise, George. Nice to make your acquaintance. Are awesome. we done? No. 